this is Josh Levent, and you're listening to Humans, a podcast for people who want the world to slow down and become more human. Welcome to episode six. Today, I'm speaking with Bongiwe Beja. Bongiwe is a South African changemaker and development financier. The first thing I noticed about Bongi was her determination. She has so much drive and energy, you quickly believe that she is capable of doing absolutely anything. What makes Bongiwe human is her strength and passion. Through difficult times, she has built a career out of making an impact on her local communities and becoming a leader for Africa. Please enjoy our energetic and heartfelt conversation. And now I bring you Bongiwe Becha. Hi, Bongi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Josh. So we're going to have a conversation about your life yeah. today. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very curious. <laughs> We've had a, a, a little bit of a chat and yeah. you've got some interesting stories to share, I think. I do. I definitely <laughs> do. Yeah. So first of all, your name is Bongiwe Beja. Yes, that's my name. My full name is Bongiwe Andisiwe Beja. But yes, that's my name. Okay, cool. Yeah. And uh, you told me before that you're half uh, Kosa and half Zulu. Yes. Um, and your name, is that also a mixture? Yes. So Bongiwe is my mom's name. My mom mm. is also Bongiwe and she's Zulu. Andi Siwe is my Kosa name. Mm. And in my culture, we have clans. Mm-hmm. Um, my clan name is Amatuaha. I belong to the Amatuaha clan. Mm. So Andi Siwe is actually part of a sentence. It's Andi Siwe Amatuaha. Means that we've added one more to the Juaha clan. Oh. Yes. Okay. And Bongiwe is a Zulu derivative from the word Ngiabonga which means thank you. So it really means that my parents were grateful to have me. They were saying thank you to God. So that's mm. what bongiwe means. Bongiwe and isiwe beja. Thank you for adding one more to our family. That's right. Wow. Yeah. In what a, a sentence. beautiful name. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. And um, you were born in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. Yes. Yes. Um, in Umtuta. Umtata. Umtata. Yes. I can't read my own handwriting. (laughs) (laughs) Umtata. Yes, Umtata. I was born in Umtata uh, in the Eastern Cape. Back then, they called it the Transkei because in the apartheid region, or rather apartheid regime, sorry, they renamed Eastern Cape and classified it as the Transkei. That's where mostly the Kosa people were from. Mm -hmm. In fact, Nelson Mandela uh, comes from an area that's very close to Umtata, a couple of kilometers outside of Umtata in a village called Unu. Okay. Yes. Um, so Umtata is in the, what I still call the trans guy, mm-hmm. um, but post-democracy we were then renamed to Eastern Cape. Okay. Why, yeah. why is that? I think um, trans guy was almost an economy within an economy. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I don't know the history very well. But I do know that Transkei had its own legal system 
outside of the rest of South Africa. Oh, okay. Yeah, so KwaZulu-Natal is where the Zulus are from. Western Cape is where the Afrikaans and Kosa Nation and colored people are from. Um, Eastern Cape, like I said, back in apartheid regime was um, named Transkei, and that's really all your Kosa clans mm-hmm. um, there. Yeah. Okay, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So what were your parents up to before you were born? <laughs> so um, my mom is Zulu. She was born in KwaZulu-Natal in Pietermaritzburg. And her parents were teachers from the teaching industry. And she became a medical doctor. My father, on the other hand, came from humble beginnings, um, living in a, a what you would call a shack. Um, with his family uh, in the rural area called Libote in the Eastern Cape. And, well, he, being a bright student or pupil, uh, managed to also get himself to medical school. Mm. And um, he was a year ahead of my mother. And the one instruction my mother got from her Zulu parents was that do not fall in love with a Kosa man <laughs> before she went to varsity and so when she got there like any good rebel child <laughs> she did exactly that yeah um, and so that's how my parents met they are both medical professionals yeah they met at university in KwaZulu-Natal and relocated back to my father's home which was in the Eastern Cape mm-hmm. yeah and um do you have any siblings? I do. I'm the last born in my family. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've got three um, siblings. My brother is the eldest one. Then I've got two sisters, um, Funega and Spogazi. My brother's name is Mpumelelo. And the three of them are quite close in the sense that they are a few years apart. And my mom then had a miscarriage between myself and my sister. So there's a five-year difference between me and my sister, a seven-year difference between me and my elder sister, and eight years between me and my brother. So for the three of them, they are quite close. And then I'm mommy and daddy's girl. (laughs) I enjoy a great relationship with my older siblings, but I'm a lot closer to my parents. Yeah. Yes. And I have the feeling that when parents you know have a few child uh, children they uh, get better at it over time mm, mm, do, do mm, you feel mm. that might have been the case i mean i guess you don't really know what, I, what kind I'll, of parents you yeah, <laughs> they, they were, were to your elder siblings you know I, i'm actually very lucky or blessed mm. um to have the parents that i do have they're very strong characters uh, and i think they've been pretty consistent uh, what I would say, though, is that I'm definitely more spoiled than yeah. <laughs> my siblings. And, and like I said, a lot closer to my parents. We all went to boarding school because my parents um, were really committed to their profession. Mm-hmm. So I went to boarding school very early, uh, around 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first 10 years of life, I was with my mom and dad while my older siblings were already in boarding school. So I got, right. I think, a lot more time with my parents yeah. versus my siblings. Yeah. Yes. So you, you, you all went to boarding school at age 10? Um, yeah, roughly age 10, others 11, 12, whatever. But um, around that age, yeah. um, it wasn't only because my parents were committed to their profession, but they made a distinct decision to put us in good schools. Yeah. And at the time, 
the schooling systems in KwaZulu-Natal seem to be a lot better mm-hmm. uh, than what we had to offer in the Eastern Cape. Yeah. I guess by that point, apartheid was just coming apart, or was just ending. Yes, yes. And and so, was what, 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 did that give your parents more opportunities to the kind of school they could send you to? Yes. Uh, the timing was that they were young professionals at the time, yeah. and they had set up their own surgery mm-hmm. in Umtata, um, Dr. Beja, um, and they worked together in their practice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so... When I was in boarding school, I remember being the minority, Mm -hmm. uh, the only black girl uh, in an all-girls school, for example, when I moved schools in Durban um, at St. Mary's. In my primary school, I was, um, yes, one of the only black girls in the entire um, senior primary school. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And your elder brother, he's uh, eight years older than you. Yes. So he, he would have started school still under apartheid, I guess. Yes, but he also got the opportunity to go to really good schools. He okay. went to Kersney College um, in KwaZulu-Natal and matriculated mm-hmm. there. Um, yeah, yeah and, and, and got a, a decent education thanks to my mom and dad. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And... Were your elder siblings also role models for you yes, when you were young? very much so. Particularly the sister that's um, right above me, that's five years older than me. Her name is Funeka. Um, she's been my hero <laughs> pretty much since I was born. Um, she was very, very, she is very smart, mm-hmm. uh, very driven, and an independent thinker. I think because... My parents worked so hard to make sure that we got the opportunities that they didn't have, particularly my dad, who came from more humble beginnings than my mother. Mm. Um, My sister understood from a very young age that she needed to cultivate an independent thinking in her Mm. so that she doesn't, um, you know, take advantage of everything coming on a silver platter. And so she worked hard to make sure that I'm not a spoiled brat Mm. and that I understand the concept of working hard or rather, you know, the concept of working to achieve something um, instead of it being given to you. So how did you do that? Oh, it was kind of tough love. (laughs) And and how how did she know to do that? I'm not sure. I don't know what it was um, in her that got her thinking this way. But um, from a very young age, you know, uh, my sister, we'd all get a ration of pocket money, by way of example, Mm -hmm. um, from my parents. And I would notice that amongst the four of us she wouldn't spend all of hers when we got the opportunity to go and spend the money she'd save some of it um you know and then the next time you we had a stop at the mall we'd all be jealous that she still had some change Mm -hmm. you know um to to get whatever she liked there was some yeah decent she loved maths she loved science um she was fascinated by numbers um and so yeah kind of had a strong influence on me yeah, yeah. And I, I guess your siblings, they came home from, you know, when you were in primary school, they came yes, home from, from boarding, boarding school, school yes. for the holidays. Yes. What was that like? That was awesome. I enjoyed the trips 
to and from home when we either would go collect them or drop them off. And so I kind of looked up to going to boarding school. So I remember being about seven years old and I told, started giving pressure to my parents that I also want to go to boarding school. And my mom said, okay, at boarding school, they eat with a fork and knife. They don't eat with a spoon. At the time, I was eating everything with a spoon. Mm-hmm. And so I worked very hard, um, you know, <laughs> to, <laughs> to know how to eat with a fork and knife. And when I was ready, I don't know how they did the timing, but I was convinced that as as soon as I had learned and mastered <laughs> how to use a fork and knife, then I got to go, you know, mm-hmm. to my sister's school and I got interviewed and I got into the school. Mm-hmm. And the following year, I went into boarding school and I was so grateful my two sisters were there at the same school mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, and and the sister that I've mentioned, Funega, um, in the trips, she would teach me maths tricks. I remember learning the nine times table very easily in the car because she showed me a trick on my hands um, mm. that if you know you put your fourth finger down um, the numbers on your left hand side will be three and the number on the right hand side will be six that means nine times four is 36 and same if you do it throughout um, with mm. all your fingers so nine times seven if you put your seventh finger down it's five and three I mean six and three so it would be 63 um, so she taught me like little tricks and by the time I got into class I was a little bit ahead of the other students. Um, she she also taught me multiplication, addition. Um, I'll never forget that, um, you know, with, with an introduction to algebra, you can't add apples and bananas. And that's really X plus Y will always be X plus Y. Um, she taught me those concepts on the trip on the way to boarding school. Wow. <laughs> yeah. My other sister uh, wasn't a fan of maths at all, more a musician. Mm-hmm. And so we'd also use the time in the car um, to sing. Okay. And she was the soprano. My other sister, Funega, was um, almost second soprano alto, and I would also alternate second soprano and alto. So harmonizing um, or listening to music to hear, is there an opportunity to harmonize, is something that was, you know, uh, introduced to me at a very young age. So um, by the time I got into school, I was in choir right through. Uh, I enjoyed music so much, I started drumming um, at a very young age and ended up representing KwaZulu-Natal and playing as head percussionist for the KwaZulu-Natal Youth Orchestra. And really the love of music was born in the car, taking my siblings (laughs) to and fro uh, boarding school. Wow. Yeah. At what age were you um, a part of this orchestra as head percussionist? I started drumming maybe at age 10. And by the time I was in uh, what we call grade 10, um, and that would be 15, 16 years old, I was already um, a head percussionist for the KwaZulu-Natal Youth Orchestra. And I, pr- I played right through. Mm. I was head of African uh, music ensemble. I was vice head of orchestra in my matric year. Mm. I did pretty much everything that the music department offered, yeah. whether it was choir, orchestra, or playing djembe. Uh, and percussion mm-hmm. yeah so an early love of of music and maths yes yes pretty much sums up uh, uh what i i was passionate about uh, i did a bit of karate um as well again influenced by my older sister um there's a really uh wonderful family the fries 
family they are a global organization now mm-hmm. um Sensei Wally Fry and Sensei Debbie Fry, um, they did had a karate club at our school, and my sister was in the same matric class as their first daughter, Tammy Fry, who's actually a Japanese Karate Association world champion. And wow. she got my older sister into karate, and when I joined the school, I also started karate. I got up to purple belt, and so did my sister. I think she got to purple or brown belt um, by the time she matriculated. But um, I remember having to choose between music and karate. So I ended up um, yeah, choosing music, but really enjoyed it. I don't think I would have done karate if it wasn't for my older sister. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember any of your uh, primary school teachers? Yes, I do. I remember um, the teacher that... um, So I went to two schools in KwaZulu-Natal. One was Epworth, Mm -hmm. and then um, Funega got a opportunity to go to St. Mary's, a school in Durban. And um, two years later, I then joined as well um, at St. Mary's. And when I joined St. Mary's, my teacher's name was Mrs. Janet Weekly. Now, Mrs. Weekly uh, helped me a lot because I was coming from a school in Peter Maritzburg. Both of them are private schools. However, St. Mary's seemed a lot harder in terms of maths. Now, you'll remember that throughout my schooling, I was quite good at maths. Yeah. But when I joined Mrs. Weekly's class, I was struggling with maths. Yeah. And so she really helped me to orientate around this new school. And this is the school where I was the only black child in the mm-hmm. senior primary um, school thankfully my older sister and my cousin Yolanda she was in high school so after school um, they would come and help me after school with maths and Mm. Mrs. Weekly uh, was very critical in transitioning into this new school and by the end of the year my maths had improved Uh, Mrs. Weekly then found that this girl uh, the new girl Wongi is good at music Mm. um, and very early on when she could see that my confidence was down because now I wasn't like top of the class for maths anymore uh, she decided that I must join the choir and enter into a competition and in my first year at St. Mary's I won a singing competition yeah. um, that a music teacher then was Mrs. Heidi Paul uh, and, and the song was Never Smile at a Crocodile <laughs> <laughs> and I won a, an award for that uh, and that boosted my confidence and through that they also then uh, encouraged me to join drama classes mm. um, with Aldo Brinkat and um, Ellis Pearson and some of the actors in South Africa you know, come through these uh, drama teachers as well. I, I later found out um, that I got taught by one of the best. And yeah, I really excelled in drama as well. Got lead roles um, in the school plays. Mm-hmm. So drama, music, maths was kind of the theme. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like this Mrs. Weekly really helped you with your confidence in yourself yes you were telling me earlier today about how your dad (laughs) helped with that as well yeah when did that start what's your earliest memory of your dad kind of Mm, telling you that uh, very early maybe five six years old Mm -hmm. um you see with the clan names my dad and my mom placed me in an educational system that didn't really celebrate africanism Mm -hmm. 
possibly because of the post-apartheid regime. Mm. And what that means really is understanding who you are in the clan which you belong and things like that. So my dad would teach me um, how to introduce myself according to Xhosa culture. Mm -hmm. So I told you earlier that I belong to the Chwaka clan and there's a way in which you share the names of your ancestors when you introduce yourself. So I would say that I am Bongiwe Andisiwe Peja. I'll just say it in Xhosa. Ndingubongiwe Andisiwe Peja. Umamchwaka, umayaka, uvumisa, umtimka, uchotela. Those are several names linked to my clan names. And um, my dad would teach me that at in the middle of the night um, at a very young age. And after I got to know that and, and understand that I belong, I belong. It gave me a sense of belonging that mm. anywhere I was in the world, no matter if I was in the boarding school or at a trip, for um, karate or for music, I am Umam Chwaka. My name is Bongiwe Ansiwe Pecha, and I belong. And he really just gave me, you know, that confidence. And and he would tell me things like, never allow anybody to define you. Uh, and you are my daughter. In fact, he calls me his DDD, Daddy's Darling Daughter. <laughs> Uh, and um, he also had a saying. I think he stole it from Nike. He said, "Drachas don't try; they just do it." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> in fact, that became quite a, a pressure point at some point. You know, you'd feel like if you didn't do well in a test, oh, I didn't just do it then. You know, um, but. It always made you strive for the best. And when we did achieve something, it'd be like, that's my DDD. Drachas don't try. They just do it. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. So <laughs> he kind of, and I guess you, you said that before, he, he, he came, he didn't come from, I guess he didn't have as many opportunities uh, as a child as you had. Yes. Uh, um, he kind of fought for his opportunities from what I understand. I don't know much. My dad doesn't share a lot about his upbringing. Um, but from what I picked up, he didn't have school shoes. He would walk to school and quite a distance. That's number one. Secondly, he was excellent at maths. My dad was like top notch. And um, it sounds as though his teacher... His teacher was very, very instrumental in getting him scholarships and bursaries and the opportunity um, to get out of the rural area that he was based to go into uh, medical school. It was his teachers that recommended that this child deserves the opportunity because he was good at biology, he was good at math, and he was good at science. And um, he won an, a, a prize in, in recognition for his academic excellence at the university he was at and funny enough my mom in the year the year after won exactly the same prize oh, wow. so I guess he did some brainwashing to my mom as well <laughs> when they met adversity so he seemingly out of uh, you know humble beginnings had had some sense of self-worth probably mm. also given to him by his dad I'm not sure yeah. and his um, teachers I guess yeah I, I find that so interesting it always uh, seems to me like teachers play such an instrumental role. They do. They do. Um, I want to share one more teacher. Before I even went to um, boarding school in KwaZulu-Natal, uh, I was in a primary school, pre-primary school in Umtata. Vela 
pre-primary school. And, um, you know, that prep year before you enter into your very first grade, mm-hmm. uh, I went to a school uh, where my teacher was Ghanaian. Mrs. Pepra is her name. I loved Mrs. Pepra. In fact, my mom tells me that I used to tell her that I'm Mrs. Pepra's daughter. Mm-hmm. I remember Mrs. Pepra. She was beautiful and she used to wear these beautiful Ghanaian dresses, nothing like I had seen before. It, it was very clear to me that it was of a different culture. It wasn't like the Kosa culture, but it was elegant and beautiful. And she she gave me pride in writing my own name. I'll never forget actually coining that writing my name mm-hmm. um, and being in her class. I remember it so clearly. And um, Josh, recently... As a global shaper, I was invited to this annual meeting of the new champions and myself and one of the other shapers that was selected in Stellenbosch went to the Western Cape trade and investment partner called Westgrow. And we then introduced ourselves just to say, you know, inform Westgrow that we've been invited to this exciting conference and um, should there be anything that we should look out for for Westgrow to foster relationships with China, etc. Mm-hmm. And in that meeting, we had an opportunity to introduce ourselves. And the gentleman said, he is Mr. Pre- Pepra. Mm-hmm. And I asked if he knew my Mrs. Pepra. Mm-hmm. And it turned out... That's his mom. And he took wow. a photo of me, sent it to Mrs. Pepra, and she remembered me. Wow. And I got so emotional in this business meeting yeah. um, to meet with, you know, a teacher that meant so much to me at five years old. Yeah. And I can remember her as though it was yesterday. Um, so teachers really do play a significant role. Yeah. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. And it sounds like... Your dad was very determined yes. in his life. Mm. And I feel that from you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, yeah. He'd be proud. He'd say, Joachas don't try. They just <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah. Is that something that your siblings have as well, that determination? Yes. Um, they do. They do. My parents are very grounded. and very humble. And... Uh, They were very successful at an early age. You know, Umtata is a very small town. And the families that grew up in Umtata, if you asked, do you know Dr. Beja? Uh, most families knew uh, my father and my mother. Um, and, you know, that's how I'd be introduced. This is Dr. Beja's child. But when we got home, my, my dad would always emphasize that I'm the doctor. <laughs> Not uh-huh. you. Yeah. And so I realized, yeah, in order to be like recognized like that, I kind of need to do something, That's you know, and I don't want to be just Dr. Beja's child. I should also be Bongiwe Beja and someone ought to explain what I do in life. Yeah. You know, it gave me that drive and that ambition. It was very clear to me that their success was their success. Mm-hmm. And um, you kind of got that, that feeling that you need to do something to create your own story. You know, yeah. what will your legacy be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do regret sometimes not having studied medicine. Mm. 
my parents really wanted one of us to be a doctor, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the last two, my mm-hmm. sister and I, the one I was explaining that I'm really close to. Yeah. Um, but neither of us chose medicine. <laughs> I didn't choose medicine probably because of her. She went right. and did commerce and I thought, okay, and this seems two like good. Also didn't oh no, my eldest two siblings, my, my, my first, um, my brother, he did a BA in political science. Mm-hmm. Very much not uh, maths and science orientated at all. My mm-hmm. brother's good at languages and he's good at history, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then my, my, my other sister is very arty. She's got arts, music. Um, she's got a beautiful voice. Um, I wish she had um, done singing as a career, but she ended up in, in design, interior design. Mm-hmm. And then my, my sister and I were the candidates. Okay. We were the candidates for science, math, yes, because biology, of the science, yeah. biology, and math strength, yeah. um, which I think I inherited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we were the candidates to do medicine, and my mom would always say that I've got the character uh, to be a good doctor. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you yeah. said you, d- you chose not to do it because of your sister. I, yeah, at the time she went to University of Cape Town and she found this degree, the business science degree in finance. And like she explained it as though it's accounting that made sense. And that's another <laughs> funny story is that I was really good at math, not very good at accounting. Mm. Um, and um, she then told me that there's a concept called finance and economics. And these two things is like accounting that you can explain, accounting <laughs> that you can be good at. And I found that right. to be true yeah, um, and that's how i ended up in in commerce yeah it's interesting because as an entrepreneur now i have to be able to do some accounting mm. uh, or at least to understand the accounts yes but um it also didn't never seemed like an interesting subject to me mm. i was also good at maths mm. in school and i studied business as well and mm. enjoyed economics i think mm. um but accounting not so much I may- yeah. My accounting wasn't too bad until we wrote a test on depreciation. Yeah. I was a good student. Mm-hmm. By good, I mean I did my homework. Yeah. But this particular day, I walked into the accounting class and I was quite disorientated. And I didn't know what was going on. And we had a spot test. Mm-hmm. And it was out of 50. And the topic was depreciation mm-hmm. and I had no idea uh-huh. what depreciation was I think my teacher had introduced it the day before but I must have not been concentrating right. and I wrote the test and when the results came back I got zero out of 50 oh my god zero who gets zero that's harsh and when I looked and I asked not even one mark she was like you carried the errors from the beginning to the end and so I couldn't even find part marks because I wasn't sure what steps you were taking to depreciate oh, right. okay. so it goes back to that confidence thing and like when I think of accounting I always think about that moment I see and so from then on I just disengaged yeah, with yeah, the yeah. subject uh, and Look, I passed my matric accounting um, uh, and I was okay. Uh, and I had to do accounting at varsity and I still passed those modules. Mm. But I would avoid accounting yeah. purely because... And I think I think that, yeah, you need to... Teachers need to be very careful yeah. about, um, yeah, how they they mark, how they relay concepts um, yeah. to students because a stupid 
test yeah. <laughs> out of the many tests I've written right. in my life, um, yeah, kind of deterred me. That's a shame. Yeah. Mm. So we've, I think already covered kind of how, how you got, how you chose the subject that you did. It was kind of your sister's influence as well. Yes, it was um, my sister's influence. And um, I was actually accepted for medicine. Uh-huh. At you Wits University. My parents applied for me. Really? <laughs> My dad was determined <laughs> to have so a he doctor. applied <laughs> you for a medical program. Yes. <laughs> and you got accepted. Yes, with a scholarship. <gasps> wow. And, and then, you, you uh, disappointed your parents <laughs> <laughs> so badly. <laughs> and then I got in, accepted at the University of Cape Town for chemical engineering. Not even the commerce uh, field. So, wait, you were not accepted for commerce or you didn't apply for it? I didn't apply. My parents applied for me. So, what happened is that I was doing history. In grade, what we call grade 10, you get to choose your subjects for matric. Mm -hmm. And I was doing history and one day in history class in grade 11, my teacher said, Bongi, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm attending class as usual. Your dad phoned the school. You're not allowed to do history. You have to do biology. What? (laughs) I can't take biology now. They're halfway through the semester. (laughs) Sorry. You need to run to Mrs. Watson's class. You need to go. I need to catch up on half a year of biology. Oh, my (laughs) word. What a disaster. Drawing the heart. I'll never forget it. I Mm. mean, it was a disaster. Mm. Um, So I did biology because you needed biology in order to get into medicine. Mm. Um, And my parents applied for me to different varsities. Come my matric year was my first life-changing experience. I had an epileptic fit. Oh, wow. And they said that it was the water that I had, um, it had tapeworm. Mm -hmm. And so I was off school in my matric year for six months. Wow. Oh, no, not six months. Apologies. Six weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah, it felt like six months. Six weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Six weeks in in matric is, in your final year, Mm. uh, is... um, yeah, it's like missing six months worth of school because in a week you cover a lot in the curriculum. And so what happened is that my health became so important to my parents. Um, and when I went back to school, um, there was a fear around, will I be able to catch up? And so I got this window of opportunity uh, where my parents are concerned to do whatever I want. You can apply to whatever program you want. And my voice of influence at the time was my sister who said, okay, don't do the medicine, do the commerce. And I changed. That's how I changed into um, the commerce degree. And my parents kind of left it by then to say, okay, it's fine. Very interesting. Wow. Yeah. What, what a chance uh, <laughs> yeah. event that influenced your whole life. Yeah, it yeah. did. And uh, I'm, my parents are Christian and so am I. And um, I never understood the concept of a miracle until, until that experience. Mm. Because any activity on your right side of the brain affects the left side. Um, the tapeworm they found on my right side and yet the the fit was also on the right side. And it's something that the doctors couldn't explain. And really, um, the damage was close to ruining my brain. 
uh, and they still can't explain it today. And I'm and I'm perfectly fine. I'm perfectly normal. I came out of the, that entire operation, and and so whenever somebody asks me whether I believe in miracles, that's the story that I quote because, um, yeah, I'm truly grateful for my life. Uh, and I saw how precious my life is to those who love me as well. Mm. Um, so was, in that year. Was it a miraculous re re recovery? recovery? I mean, in the sense that was there some intervention or some treatment or I think it just... My parents chose to not disclose everything because they didn't want me to panic. Mm -hmm. And I never bothered to follow up what really happened. Okay. The story I know is that I had a fitted school, there was tapeworm in my brain, and I miraculously recovered. Okay. I do know that there are some medical complications around it and that I was off for six weeks on heavy medication um, and still managed to pass my matric and get into university. And there was a huge possibility that I would need to repeat my final year right. before entering varsity. Yeah. yeah. But you, you managed to, to catch up and, and yes. go straight to university. Yes, yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Then you, you had this chance, this window, this op this opening to yes. do something else and you did I did. Uh, yeah. Bachelor of Commerce. I did. I did a I actually entered the university for a business science degree, the same degree that my sister had done. And in my second year I got the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation scholarship for entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. It was the first time they had launched the scholarship and to date the most tough program I've ever had to apply for and, and enter in. And I got to be an Ellen Gray Orbis Foundation scholar. In my third year, we were split into groups and we got a little bit of funding to run an organization. The trick about the scholarship is that unlike a bursary where you'd typically need to work for the organization after, um, with the scholarship, we had an extra program alongside our degree. So the commitment was... Um, both your degree and, you know, to the foundation. And I kind of enjoyed running our little business on the side more than my studies. Okay. Um, and the business we ran was in the township communities in, in the Western Cape, where we would train people, unemployed women, um, to be uh, domestic workers mm -hmm. and link them to the students that were living off campus in flats and um, take a margin, a small margin, um, on the fee that we would charge for the domestic to clean the flat for the day. Right. Um, our company was called Dialer Domestic. But I also knew that to keep the scholarship, I needed 65% average. And I didn't think I would do that because I was concentrating more on the business right. than on my studies. And so in that year, I started looking for an alternative to get out of the scholarship and not have to ask my parents to fund me at school. And... Um, There was a bursary that was being uh, advertised. It was called the SIM Bursary, Sunlam Investment Management Bursary. And on there it said, um, you know, the candidate would be mentored by the managing director of Sunlam Investments. And I thought, this is amazing. And I applied. Mm -hmm. um, everyone thought I was crazy. How do you leave a scholarship for a bursary? What they didn't know is that I didn't think I'd be able to keep the scholarship um, mm -hmm. anymore. And um, when I walked into the interview with the recruitment lady, she told me that they are looking for one person in the country. One student would get 
the wow. award for this bursary. Yeah. And I thought, oh, what are the chances? I'm already on a scholarship. I just want something to get out of the scholarship. <laughs> and um, to cut a long story short, I got the bursary. Wow. And... Um, I then was honest to the managing director and told him that the marks that you're going to see that are coming up aren't really good because mm-hmm. I've been focusing on dialer domestic and not my studies. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to use this opportunity to change my degree and do a BCom, which is a more focused degree, mm-hmm. um, a BCom in economics and finance and really just leave everything that I've been doing on the side and focus on my core goal, which is to get a degree. And he agreed with that. And um, that's how I changed from a business science to a BCom economics and finance degree. Mm -hmm. And I graduated and started working at Sunlum Investments. Oh, wow. Yes. What what did you do alongside, (laughs) if anything, (laughs) studying and building this business? Okay, so I I thought I would be a drummer. I'd continue drumming when I got to UCT. But when I looked for um, some societies or music societies, I realized Cape Town is into jazz. Mm. And I had been brought up in a classical uh, genre where, you know, I knew how to read music. I knew how to drum and play for orchestras. um, But every band that was surrounding me was was jazz. Um, So then I decided to immerse myself in in leadership positions uh, around finance and I joined the investment society because I was doing a a finance degree or investments degree. Um, And I first joined as a volunteer in a subcommittee and um, the president then Divya Vasant, um, who's actually a serial social entrepreneur now in South Africa, uh, approached me and said, you've got such incredible leadership skills. Um, we've seen your contribution in the, in the subcommittee. Won't you run for president? And I mean, this was the largest student society on campus. Uh-huh. It has more than a thousand members. Uh-huh. And um, I ran for president yeah. for the investment society. So, yes, there's Dialer Domestic with the Alan Gray Overs Foundation. Mm-hmm. I'm president of the largest society yeah. on campus. I'm quite a handful, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it helped me. I got to draw up proposals, um, um, approach companies for funding, invite medical students that knew nothing about finance and investments to teach them about equity instruments, investing early Mm -hmm. um, and leverage even my relationship with the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation to get some speakers um, for my event. So uh, I don't regret doing all those things. Uh, And when I look back in my life, I've always been a busy bee. Um, If it wasn't karate and music and school, this time it was, you know, running business on the side, um, uh, running the largest society on campus. Um, And and I I really got to explore myself as a leader Mm. um, and understand that I have this God-given ability to to be a voice for, for those that perhaps choose not to put their hand up um, for those leadership positions. I would have run for SRC, but I made a conscious decision after that year to really focus on my study and get my degree. Um, And that was a good decision. Yeah. Alongside all of these things that you did in in high school and university, Mm. 
how how was your social life and your and your family relationships oh my family relationships were solid always have been uh, in the sense that we've got a really close family my mom and dad and my siblings and they've always been my pillar of support i really don't know where i'd be without my parents in particular um my mom uh, as much as she didn't do any brainwashing exercise, she really did solidify and ground me in terms of morals and values. Um, she's a very strong woman. What I haven't shared with you is that she actually quit medicine mm -hmm. at some point mm -hmm. and started running businesses. Oh, okay. She had a restaurant in Umtata called Prim's Restaurant. Mm -hmm. It was in the local newspaper because... Um, when she was starting to venture into business, she was getting frustrated that there was no place for entrepreneurs to meet. Oh, okay. And she really liked cooking. Um, so she decided to open a restaurant primarily aimed to be, excuse me, a meeting place for entrepreneurs, lawyers, business professionals to have a decent place to have, you know, a meeting. Yeah. What, um, what age were you when she started that? She started that when I was still in primary school. Uh -huh. um, so shortly after I went to boarding school, yeah. uh, age 10, 11. Yeah. She then also opened a chain of businesses under the umbrella called Slice and Bite Bakery. Mm -hmm. um, and this is another uh, area where I got to test my maths because during my holidays, school holidays, I would work at the till yeah. uh, at, at, in the business and really got a sense of entrepreneurship. So it was no surprise to me later on in life when I got the Ellen Gray Orbis Foundation Scholarship for Entrepreneurship because mm -hmm. this had also been been instilled in me yeah. so you'll notice that there's two things um, that I'm passionate about in life it's entrepreneurship and education mm -hmm. but why I'm explaining all of this to you so you can understand why I was applying for scholarships and 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 bursaries mm -hmm. um, because you wouldn't expect the daughter of two doctors to need some sort of financial assistance in the education um, but my parents in this business life, um, encountered competition, mm -hmm. and um, the, they ended up shooting my mom's accountant. I was 14 years of age, mm. and my mom, being a strong Christian, felt that she would close the business if it was going to bring death of any kind. Wow. And she shut down the business and she shut it down at a point where the company was not yet profitable to cover um, everything she had put down for surety ship. Oh. So our lives changed. We went from having several vehicles in the household to one and even then barely keeping that one car. And, and yeah, without sharing too much details, our lives changed. Luckily for my older siblings, they were already either exiting the schooling system or working already. Mm -hmm. And I was the one in school. Mm. And so the small action I decided to take is not to be a financial burden on my parents. Mm. And why I'm passionate about education is that if my mother did not have medicine to fall back on when things went sour on the business side, I don't know that I would be where I am today. Mm. Because what kept us afloat is her 
going back to the surgery, joining my father and mm. practicing as a doctor again. Wow. And so I realized the importance of education or having some sort of profession um, because should you venture into entrepreneurship and that fails, it's great to have some sort of backing where you can be absorbed uh, formally into the employment sector, which is what happened yeah. uh, with my mother. And, and so uh, in varsity, I then, you know, got this this the scholarship and got the bursary at Sunlam Investments uh, and that's how my career then kicked off yeah 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 you you, you we, oh yeah you're telling me about I, my yeah I was <laughs> asking about your, your social yeah. life but, but, but your family relationship is very interesting so it is yeah um your your parent your 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 mother was struggling uh, at age fourteen I guess they yes. closed the business and yes um, and so my teenage years was marked with me uh, being very conscious about not being a financial burden and mm. accepting that you know things had slightly changed for for my family yeah. and socially well being the daughter of an Anglican priest slash doctor and the the family name being well known in a yeah. small town meant that uh, there was a salient pressure to be on good behavior at all times <laughs> so boyfriends and things like that um if you had one you'd have to keep it very very um secret. almost like a secret one and two at a friendship level I see. Um, because I had a strict curfew before the sun goes down, around about 5 p.m. I must be home. Mm -hmm. I can't be wandering on the streets um, yeah. when my parents are at home. So, and, and I was in boarding school. So having friends in my local neighborhood kind of made that tough. I do have friends from, from Umtata, but I'd see them only during holidays. Yeah. And on one particular holiday, I then met a decent guy. Um, and the attraction with him was really he didn't know my family hmm. he didn't know me yeah when i introduced myself he was like oh hi and we just had a conversation i was like oh my word this is the first time i've seen somebody that mm -hmm. just conversates with me right. for me right. not because i'm the daughter of dr beja yeah. and not because i live at that house that they yeah. know of and yeah. you know my dad is so and so or my mm. mom is so and so in this small town yeah. um he was just genuinely interested in me and so i started a relationship with my first boyfriend and kept that relationship right through my varsity um, until I graduated. And uh, in my graduation year, we then got engaged. By that time, we had been dating for 10 years. Wow. So, um, and he had accepted that I was this driven woman, uh, very passionate very serious about my academics and not much of a socialite. Um, mm. And I think the strongest point of that relationship was always about what I thought was authenticity. You know, I mm. thought this man genuinely loved me for me. Um, but if I may share, I, mm. uh, I graduated, started working for Sanlam. Um, he organized a beautiful baby shower when I then fell pregnant two years later. Uh, so this means we were dating 12 years. Mm. And um, shortly after my daughter was born in 2012, she was six weeks old. And uh, he said to me, I have something to tell you. 
Um, and I thought, oh, what could it be? You know, uh, is everything okay? It, since the paternity leave had, had ended. And he said, my love for you has changed. Mm. I really want to write a book titled my love for you has changed because yeah. Josh I can't tell you how that line changed my life yeah. I couldn't understand why he felt after 12 years of being with me and now having a daughter with me mm. that his love had changed mm. what did that mean and when did this love change and we went through a series of uh, interventions from the family, from our church. And um, he simply took off his ring and said, I don't want this marriage and left. Mm. And there I was, you know, up until now, everything had gone according to plan, sort mm. of. I had done the commerce degree. Um, you know, I, I had married the love of my life, the person that I was with and my first and only boyfriend that I'd had throughout the years. So when I compare myself to my friends or even sometimes my siblings, they went through iterations, you know, they went through um, similar experiences as me, but with different boys or different mm. men or different partners mm. whereas I had stayed and I was quite proud of the fact that I experienced everything with one person mm. and now this one person left yeah. and 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 I identified myself as a wife yeah. I identified myself as a young Christian woman that was able to marry the love of her life you know somebody that I had believed that God had chosen for me yeah. and quite vocal about it in fact mm -hmm. I had what we call a connect group which is a small gathering of fellow young couples and leading that group yeah. to be an example of what a young Christian couple looks like yeah. and now that he had left it broke that entire image yeah. and secondly I've just shared what a beautiful upbringing I've had with my mother and my father. I didn't understand the concept of single parenting. What right. scared me the most in that period was when I was going through my divorce, the only thing that was a resounding noise is how will I raise my daughter on my own? Yeah. I had friends that were raised by single parents and they were great. They were amazing. But I, my only picture of family was a mother and a father yeah. and I didn't know what am I going to do how will I fulfill both roles to my daughter because it was quite clear that since his love had changed he was out of the picture right. so quite a significant uh, time in my life a huge cracking where, where things just changed I used to have a saying at the time that said everything that I thought was wasn't mm. and I needed to find what is mm. um, because everything that I related to now or defined myself as had to change I was yeah. no longer a wife I was a divorcee yeah. and to grapple that is quite something the last time I was single I was 15 years old mm. wow. so to go from wife to single or a potential girlfriend was quite a transition mm. You know, and I knew that I wouldn't make a good girlfriend because I'm good wife material. I make a darn good <laughs> wife. So I don't know why his love had changed and why he ran away. And I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've come to understand that I possibly will never know. I don't know whether he had another partner, another several partners. I never bothered to check. Yeah. 
I think what I decided to do is just heal. And I'll tell you something. When you go through loss of any kind, you often overindulge on something. Mm. And I was determined because this happened while I was on maternity leave. And (laughs) one interesting fact, a few months before I was pregnant, he had frustration in his career and there was an opening in my company in the IT department. And I then approached the head of IT to say he would be a good resource. And we had a meeting with HR and they said, well, we don't usually hire husband and wife in the organization. But, um, you know, your husband, after the interviewing process, was one of the best candidates. Would you guys be okay with it? And we agreed. So this meant I went through a very public divorce. My ex-husband was working in the same organization that I was working at. Um, And uh, when I came back from maternity leave, everybody in the building knew that I was going through a divorce with the guy upstairs who's in IT. And um, yeah, it, it, it proved to be a very interesting time in my life. And I was speaking about, you know, healing uh, from depression, healing from loss. Um, death and divorce, as I understand, are quite similar. You go through, uh, you know, seasons of, of grief. And uh, the only difference is that, that death, the, the person you've lost, you know you've lost for sure. Whereas with divorce, women often get trapped into this idea or any partner, in fact, not only woman, uh, into this trap of believing that maybe the partner will come back. Right. You know, and that can haunt you. Yeah. Uh, and after a couple of months, I realized he's not coming back. Yeah. And deep in my soul, I decided I'm going to make this work on my own. Yeah. How? I don't know. But I'll make it work on my own. Yeah. And, um, um, yeah, if, I think the other hard thing, but uh, I guess you had other things to worry about, but often with with heartbreak the difficulty is that that person is gone for you but they're not gone for anybody else yes yes they were available for someone else so i consciously like deleted all social media links i consciously deleted his number and and i wanted i did not want to know what was happening in his life because i had to pick up the pieces of my life and the only thing that i knew that was familiar so i was no longer a young Christian, part of a young Christian couple. I was no longer married. I was no longer defined as a wife. But I was still at Sunlam Investments as a potential young leader in that organization. And so I grabbed onto that and I put everything into my career. And funny enough, that is the time that I got the most promotions and the most um, amazing time out of my career because that's what I overindulged in. Right. which is my work. And just out of the fact that at least this hadn't changed, this wouldn't turn around and tell me that it doesn't love me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I put my everything in, into my career. And, and, and that's actually when I started to think about who do I want to be in the future? So fine, it hasn't quite worked out now, but who's the Bongi I want to be in the future? And I would write my name, Bongi Wansiwe Beja. Do I want a title next to it? And I was like, yeah, my dad wanted me to be a doctor. My mom wanted me 
to be a doctor. Maybe I'll do a PhD one day. Mm-hmm. I'll be Dr. Bongiwe Andisiwe Beja. And then I decided, okay, if I'm going to be Dr. Bongiwe Andisiwe Beja, what comma after that, what, what, what qualifications appear after that? I've got the BCom. I've got a BCom honors. Maybe then it'll be an MCom and a PhD. Mm. And then I was like, but what role am I in? What role am I in in 10 years' time? Who's that bongi that I want to see? Mm. And I, it was actually quite exciting to start now redefining me. Yeah. I had an opportunity to think about who do I want to be? And this time, I'm not going to link it to anybody. Mm. I refuse to link my identity to anyone. Mm. Not to say that I won't get married again. I think marriage is a beautiful institution and I definitely will get married again in the future. But I will not make the mistake of marrying my identity with somebody else this time I was going to be selfish and so um what I did is I started researching and South Africa at the time was very um popular for being a destination an investment destination into Africa and so I thought I wanted to be a CEO of an a financial institution one day so I would be Dr. Bongiwa Andisi Andy Siwepecha, CEO of one large institution in the country. Mm-hmm. And the difference, what I would bring to the table is to be an true African leader. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I need to find a program that kind of prioritizes the development of Africa, mm-hmm. that prioritizes emerging markets. Yeah. And um, I got what was closest to it in the financial services um, profession was this concept of responsible investing. Mm-hmm. And all that is, is integrating environmental, social and governance risks as you invest into shares or any asset class. Mm-hmm. And there was a program at UCT Graduate School of Business called the MCOM Development Finance. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you could major in is sustainable responsible investing. And I thought, that's it. Mm-hmm. This is the degree that's going to open up that door for me to be a CEO one day of an institution and what I'm bringing to the table is to be an African leader, a leader that understands how to get an emerging market to developed, a state of developed. And I had this dream and hope in me that started to to come alive. I mean, I haven't traveled in Africa much at all, but I just got so passionate about Africa. And I had this dream to be one who lives in a generation where Africa emerges from emerging to developed. Mm. And I thought, I want to play a pivotal role when the country looks around for who has that skill, who knows what true development looks like. And they research, they'll find Dr. Bongiwe and Siwebecha somewhere on the records, Mm. and then hopefully I'll be appointed. And so I did this MCOM in development finance. It's a two-year program. I started it very close after I got divorced, which was the year 2014. I got divorced in 2012, and in 2014, I enrolled in the program. Because of financial challenges, I only got to resume the program in 2017 and got to see my marks. And oh my gosh, Josh, remember that girl who was struggling to keep the Ellen Gray Obus Foundation scholarship? I was flipping cum laude on this degree, <laughs> you know, an average of above 80, close to 90 percent on absolutely every course, including the sustainable, responsible investing. But I got more passionate about micro enterprise finance and this concept of public and private partnership. Um, 
And so whilst my thesis is around sustainable, responsible investing, I'll get to know um, whether I graduate with this master's, which I think I will at the end of um, December this year. Um, so that dream has finally come. And, and, and I can't tell you uh, how emotional it's going to be for me because remember, that decision was born out of pain, out of my divorce, where I decided I'm going to improve myself and study in order to elevate myself from the deep pain that I was in from the loss of a husband, um, you know, in the form of a, a divorce. And it took me longer than I thought it would take me. I thought it would take me two years uh, because the program is only two years. But I had to raise significant capital to finish this degree. And it's been four years. And when I get up there to get that degree, it means more to me than just a piece of paper. That's my entry into that dream of being Dr. Bongiwebeja, an African leader. Mm. Um, so yeah, whilst my, 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 my research is on sustainable, responsible investing, I am so crazy about this concept of development finance or all things development. Mm. Um, um, yeah, to the point where I, I quit my investments career. Mm-hmm. Um, I quit my investments career um, in 2017 and while was unemployed mm-hmm. as a single mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sound familiar? I switched from a scholarship to a bursary in, in, in university and in my adult life, I quit the investments career because I wanted to look for something in the development field. So revisiting that dream of being a CEO, I didn't know what my next looked like. Um, and it was my birthday in the time that I had quit. And on Facebook, one of the Schwab social entrepreneurs that I knew from the Ellen Gray Orbis Foundation, where they had placed me as an intern in his organization, mm-hmm. said, happy birthday, Bongi. And I said, thank you so much. By the way, when are you hiring me? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, well, I'm in China at the moment at a World Economic Forum conference. And when I'm back, we can have a chat. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, great. And uh, then I went into panic mode. Chat? What are we going to chat about? (laughs) I mean, I know nothing about (laughs) what he's doing. and, and, And his organization is a tech company. Right. Silulo uh, Luta Technologies. The only thing I knew about Silulo was that um, I had worked there as a second year university student in their first store in Kailicha in the township. And they were bringing internet access via an internet cafe model to the township community. Mm. But I was trying to link what Silulo had done over the years. And when I researched, they had grown so much, over 40 centers across the country in different provinces, KwaZulu-Natal, Eastern Cape and Western Cape. From that one store, I was there. I worked there in their first store to almost 40 branches um, or more um, across the country. And I thought, this is an amazing development story. If you're talking emerging to development, this is my kind of story. I'm no, I'm no um, technology expert, but something about this really excites me. And um, I was at home. This is a mission-driven for-profit company. Is yes, right? it is. And the, the mission is to bring internet access to people who don't otherwise have it? Yeah, and their official uh, uh, mission is inspiring minds through technology. Mm-hmm. So it's really to, to bridge that digital divide uh, and to, to bring access to internet to those that don't have. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's really uh, what Cellular does. And so, Josh, what happened is that uh, I saw an incubation center in the Eastern Cape. And I thought this would be brilliant as an extra revenue stream for Silula. Not only do they bring technology to the rural and township communities, they also have training, a training academy where they teach people from these communities technology skills. So maybe an added venture would be to now incorporate entrepreneurs in the rural and development, I mean, rural and township communities. Mm-hmm. And now that links with my studies, which is micro enterprise finance, small business development, etc. And thought, okay, when I have the conversation with the CEO of Silulo, this is what I will propose. Right. And that's exactly what I did. I came back to Cape Town, told him about my brilliant idea that we should launch an incubation center. And if he chooses to, I'd be happy to pioneer the project. The man opened his laptop, showed me a floor plan and went silent. And when I looked at the floor plan, that's exactly what Silulo was doing. They were about to launch their first Silulo business incubation center in the township. Wow. (laughs) So that was an easy conversation. And um, he actually felt that, no, but Mongi, you are multi-skilled. I don't think that just being a business incubation manager would be sufficient. How about we expose you to the operations of this organization? and you become my right-hand person in leading the organization as the general manager. And um, I applied for the role. I I researched about retail management, very different from investments, the nine years that I had spent in investments. And to cut a long story short, I got the job. Yeah. And I started as general manager of Silulo in in November 2017. Mm. And I wish I had done this transition earlier. Because I've come alive. And now looking back at that CEO dream of being an African leader, I kind of think I'm fulfilling that. Because as general manager, I'm a mini CEO. I kind of look at everything operational in the business from the cash flow, from human resources, um, from marketing, you know, to the day to day operations of a technology company. What's the role of your of the CEO in your company? The role of the CEO is strategy and vision. And I also then support him. You know, in in some companies, they might call you the CEO and him the president. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So it's pretty much one. One, I don't have the title, but two, I, I do feel like I have the exposure and and it ties in so nicely. I got the job and and in a few months time I possibly will have my masters and I can then think about that PhD. Um cool. so quite quite positioned I think, well yeah. positioned from that distraught, depressed version of me when my ex husband left me and perhaps the best thing <laughs> that ever happened to me. So thanks to him <laughs> for telling me that his love has changed because that changed my life. Mm. Wow, there's a few different directions we could go with this. I, I'm curious um, about three different things, actually. So okay. I'll, I'll put them to you and then we can see. So first of all, you've, you've talked about being an African leader. And I see you've got an Africa pin on your um, jacket yes. uh, with the South African uh, colors on it, which yes. is beautiful. Thank you. And uh, so I'm curious about kind of your role in or your kind of how you were exposed to kind of Pan-Africanism as a movement and... and mm. How, how you identify with that and, and, mm. and whatever else we, we could talk about that. I think yeah. I'm very curious about that. Okay. And um, second, I'm curious about um, 
how you've uh, raised a child while doing all this in the last six years. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, thirdly, I'm curious, like, what do you think about love now um, yes. after this experience? Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, I love all three. Um, yeah. Let's let's challenge the Africa Pan Africanism. Right. It's really, uh, I would say, from a theoretical academic perspective at the moment i haven't had the opportunity to travel into africa but i don't know my heart beats so hard for africa and the development of africa and that dream was birthed at that time when i had this vision of myself being an african leader and so i've chosen to to understand South Africa and the dynamics of South Africa currently, which is why I love working for Silulo and being exposed to rural and township communities across my country because that's the bulk of the population. Um, and juxtapose that with my upbringing uh, of, of an urban, you know, or maybe a, a privileged child you know who wasn't exposed to the township and, and and rural communities for for a long time um until there was that cracking in my own family so uh, i think what i appreciate about africa is that exactly that my life experience which is almost a tale of two cities uh you know the urban rural divide the have and the have nots the rich and the not so rich or the rich and the poor because poverty is real in in our continent and really the drive to say how do you get those that don't have to have how do you get those um that that are are below the poverty line to to participate in the economy. And so that's how I relate to it. And um, for now, because I haven't gotten the opportunity to explore it, um, you know, physically, tangibly, what I arm myself is with, with knowledge. You know, I research about Kenya. I research about Nigeria. I research about um, African countries and what's happening there uh, and see what is it that gets other countries and continents to develop. Look at China. China was like Africa at some point, you know, um, not known for the right things, but they've quickly leapfrogged and been able to 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 come out as quite a a noticeable force in the world and i want to live in a time where africa does that um how i'm not sure yet but i definitely expose myself i go to conferences consciously to see uh if there's speakers there's 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 people that uh, are leading the african conversation i want to hear what they're saying what's top of mind um and, and you know we're hearing a lot about fourth industrial revolution i look at my work that i do on a daily basis and whether you know this access to internet is critical to africa playing a role in the fourth industrial revolution and embracing the technologies without access or connectivity you can't even speak about the fourth industrial revolution technologies um and so so i, I take it very seriously it's it's almost become um you you know how i said i i identified myself as a wife i now identify myself as an african leader um um and 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 I kind of live with that concept of do what you can with what you have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a South African, proudly so. And I, I understand South Africa. I make it my business to understand South Africa. And until I get exposed physically to other um, African countries, I'll also make it my business to know more uh, and really play a pivotal role in developing Africa, no matter how small. 
Do you yes. think there's a chance for Silulu uh, Ulu to, to expand definitely, outside of South Africa? Definitely. We have a vision to go from 45 stores now to 400 stores in 2024. And um, there's a definite Africa expansion plan um, around that because much of what I see in our rural and township communities and what I read in the Zimbabwe, Nigeria and other African countries, the same access to internet is required. The same educational skills and training that we do at Silulu is required and so yes uh, I think that I'm well positioned now to to really drive my own uh, passion and the many leaders will tell you that if you do what you're passionate about you don't feel like you're working in a, a day in your life and and I truly feel that way I wake up enthused to do what I do now I haven't read up on stocks or, or research financial markets since I left the financial services industry and I feel nothing Nothing, you know. <laughs> you don't miss it. No, not at all. I That's I love cool. what I do now. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, my daughter. <laughs> that was the second question, yeah. right? Oh, God bless my parents. So the fear of being a single parent was real for me, and it was so daunting that I asked my mom and dad to please take care of my daughter while I stabilize in Cape Town. And so I threw myself in work and my whole drive has been around making sure that I build myself financially, emotionally, um, you know, just as an all rounder to be stable enough to raise my daughter in such a way that she doesn't feel the gap or she doesn't feel like um, she's less than because she's being raised by one parent and not the other. And um, the deal I have with my parents is for them to please raise my daughter until I complete my master's. And that comes to an end this year. So next year I will live full time uh, with my daughter. And while that transition has happened for the first three years of her life, if you were to ask me, the worst impact of the divorce. I've kind of spoken about the good side. Um, the divorce helped me find me. The worst impact, if I were to see my ex-husband again one day, the one thing that I do, do uh, you know, still find hard to overcome is I feel like he robbed me of raising my daughter for the first couple of years of her life right. because I didn't feel strong enough to do it on my own. So uh, I'm truly grateful that my mom and dad have been there. And when I see Kutle and I go see her on a regular basis in the Eastern Cape, and thankfully Silulo has got um, a strong presence in the Eastern Cape, so I'm always there. Um, and she's feeling less and less that mommy's in Cape Town because almost every month she gets to see me now um, in this new role, which has been very healthy for our relationship. I used to get scared to see her. Will she know me? Will she recognize me? Like they say that your mom and child always have this unbreakable bond, but I haven't seen her in two months. We've only been doing Skype calls. But whenever my, my child embraces me and she sees me, she's just so proud of me and and she just oozes love. Um, she calls me by my nickname, Tandy, uh, because remember my name is the same name as my mother. Yeah. And um, 
she calls me Tandy, she calls me mommy interchangeably. Uh, that's one of the things that I will definitely change when she lives full time with me. I want to be mommy, not Tandy. Uh, <laughs> because it does feel sometimes like I'm her older sister, not her uh, her mom. But she definitely knows who her mom is and she loves her mom. She told her teacher, um, so the equivalent of my Mrs. Pepra is her Mrs. Sparrow. That's her grade R teacher right now. And she told Mrs. Sparrow that my mommy is a businesswoman in Cape Town. <laughs> you know, she kind of like really, really uh, loves that. So, um, am I able to play you a clip? Yeah, you can try it. Okay. You probably want to hold the bottom of your phone to the microphone. That's better. Because, because my heartbeat love. I'll just play that again. This is her reply to me when I tell her I love her. Um, literally yesterday. I love you too, Tandy, because, because my heart beats love. Her happiness is love? Her happy is love? Because her heart beats ah, love. her heart beats love. Yes. Oh, she loves me too because her heart beats wow. love. So, <laughs> you know, leading up to a conversation like that previously when she was younger, I would be so scared of the reception. You know, would she love me back? Would she recognize me? Mm. And I always get that feeling, you know, like what I just played now. Kutle mm. um, just oozes love she loves me and she mm. knows me she knows who i am um and so the distance for her has been something that she's been able to absorb so i admire her for her resilience and when i have to say goodbye usually i'm the one in tears and and we have a pep talk the day before the night before a few days i prepare her mommy will be going back to cape town etc and then on the day i'm in tears and she says but mommy you said we mustn't cry <laughs> and you know her strength of character just amazes me so yeah it's been it's been a long distant type parenting arrangement um, but she's getting the same values as uh, I did with my mom and dad and she is having a balanced upbringing um, and she's doing very well at school she's apparently brilliant at maths (laughs) Um, when I did attend the last uh, parent teacher uh, meeting that is what I was told and uh, yeah I'm just loving seeing her grow so I'm looking for to being with my daughter full time as of next year. Mm-hmm. So she'll come move in with you in Cape That's Town? That's a debate. I, I, She could move to Cape Town or I'll move to the Eastern Cape. I'm not quite sure yet. Okay. Yeah. You, you'd like to go back? I'd like to not disturb her schooling. I'm oh, very yeah. impressed with uh, how she's doing currently. Mm-hmm. And so I'm willing to make the sacrifice uh, and leave my life in Cape Town and move back to the Eastern Cape um, provided that you know uh, my career and things like that won't be um, affected but yeah really I'm entering into a phase of prioritizing my daughter because as you can hear I've ticked a lot of the boxes of the things that I wanted to achieve uh, in the period that was quite dark for me Mm. yeah and um, at um Silulu Uluto, now you manage some 200 people. Yes, so <laughs> it's quite a, a role. What's that been like? Were you, were you managing people um, in Before? your investment career yeah, as well? Here and there I did uh, have the opportunity of uh, working with other teams and, you know, being 
forming some sort of leadership role for them. Um, the difference in my investments career is quite a specialist in institutional client relationship management, whereas being an operations manager or general manager for Silulo means I'm not a specialist anymore, but rather a generalist. And um, having a lot of people reporting to you with different um, you know, expertise and managing that has been actually enjoyable. Yeah. I've loved it. And I've gotten to test my skills as a fully-fledged manager. And Josh, I like it. Mm. <laughs> you know, you um, have a diverse set of responsibilities. You have to think about different things all the time, the time, which is interesting. Yes. And look, not all 200, you cannot manage 200 no. people. Yeah. So we have a beautiful reporting structure where, where everybody has a line manager that they report to. And my core team, I'm a manager of managers, you right. know, and really mine is to inspire them to be better managers and to do their job efficiently. Um, and, and, and in them doing their job, I then achieve my target. And so it's it's very much that uh, I don't regret having taken the stuff that I did take on the side, you know, the president of Investment Society, being curator of the Cape Town hub uh, in the Global Shapers community, um, doing things that, you know, elevate me as a leader. It's more the soft skills that I use in my role at Silulo uh, and really having the confidence because uh, let let me remind you that I work for a technology company and yet I'm an investment professional and I'm walking into a completely different industry. But that freshness and that me being comfortable in my own skin helps me, helps me do my job. And I think sometimes um, my subordinates appreciate that. They appreciate that I'm honest, that I may not know something, but I will find out and I just apply similar principles in managing people yeah yeah really interesting yeah do you take on investment at silulu is that uh, for your expansion plans for example well uh we are looking at uh an investment uh plan for expansion um but i've walked into an organization that has been actually self-sufficient for the last 14 years mm. and very impressively so on a on a low margin high volume low price business yeah. um, because of the market that we service you can't toy around with price because you'll lose your customer sure, base sure. Um, and so and uh, I guess there's yeah. technological improvements that you need to stay on top of exactly yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel very challenged very on top of my toes uh, but cool. I love it I love the challenge um, I'm actually yeah. very curious what, um, with um, the penetration of mobile internet yes. is that making internet cafes less important in the future? What? It will definitely. That's definitely the trend and we accept that and that's why the launch of the Cellular Business Incubation Center was so important because if... If you ask me personally, I do believe that our cafes will eventually convert into business centers uh, for entrepreneurs to come and do their work and, you know, have access access to Wi-Fi, peer-to-peer learning and and that kind of thing, mentorship, etc. So they'll be used for the sites. Mm. The trend for Internet Cafe will decline. I think I read somewhere that in 19... I'll get the dates wrong now, but Internet Cafes in the US, for example, had a finite life. The first Internet Cafe is in late 70s and the last Internet Cafe was in the year 2000s. If you go to U.S. now, there's no Internet Cafes. 
In fact, there's incubators and accelerators. Right. Um, right. And so okay, if you yeah. just use U.S. as a model, you can tell that the trend is a downward trend. And when, 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 when mobile penetration hits to a point where people are accessing internet on their smartphones rather than, you know, bricks and mortar physical computer um, in an internet cafe, that trend will happen. But we still get so many clients and there are still so many requests across the country of South Africa in deep rural areas, in main townships that are saying, Silulo, please come open here. We don't have a place to fax, to send our emails, to scan, to take, um, you know, to apply for jobs when we need to. There's this concept of an email. How do I open an email address for myself? Um, and so there's still a need for the model to exist in our country. Yeah. Yes. That's great. Yeah. It was the last thing that you asked me, the third one, which was around my view on love now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think I'm very curious about that because I think I've um, experienced, had a lot of different experiences with love. Yes. And um, have a wonderful girlfriend now that I love very much, but Aww. also had, you know, four heartbreaks before that yes. that were very yes. difficult. And so I, I think it's it's something that, it takes a long time to learn. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. for me, it took longer <laughs> than for <laughs> others. Um, mm. And I don't, I don't know if, if if we ever really do do learn it. I, I, you know, I think the hardest thing in the universe mm. is to understand yourself. Yes. Oh, yes. And the second hardest thing is to understand other people. <laughs> oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I've been fortunate, uh, very fortunate. So, I have no negative memory of my marriage. Mm. I I, not, I kind of noticed that you, you know, a lot of people who ha uh, go through heartbreak have very negative affect uh, when they talk about it, and you, 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 were, you didn't have this kind of frustration or anger simmering somewhere. Yeah, underneath. you see, the thing is, lots of things happen to women in South Africa in abusive relationships. Mm. So I taught myself to appreciate that my ex-husband never hit me. Mm -hmm. I never saw him. I never walked in on him cheating on me. Mm. I didn't experience. I also saw, I don't know how it would have been if my divorce was one of those cases where it was miserable before it actually happened. Mm. So the divorce just became the, you know, official uh, stamp of something that already existed. That yeah. wasn't the case with yeah. me. I mean, I just felt like a rug was just pulled under my feet, literally. Right. The guy just told me that his love had changed. How yeah. you do that, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> yeah. so, 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 my pain was more around coming to terms with the man had left me. Mm. Why? I don't know. And I'll never know. Mm. I think that's I, uh, what I notice as being this extremely mature thing. Because if you had uh, ruminated about that for a long time, then I would have been trapped. Yes. Yeah. I and realized I, I would have been trapped. I wonder if it was also this kind of self-confidence that your dad taught you that Perhaps. allowed you to not dwell on that. And yeah. question your, you know, and question your, your, your worth. Yes. And so... I don't have a negative taste or a bitter taste in my mouth around marriage. Mm. 
my mom and dad have been married for 40 years and i saw a great marriage before my eyes and my own marriage wasn't a bad one i just perhaps chose the wrong partner and even then i would have never known because i mean i met this guy when i was 15 years old and dated him till i was 25 so or 27 and so you know uh, sure. this is all i knew but here's the deal one my concept of love comes from my christianity teachings um around godly love and so it would have been hard for any person to change my views on love i have quite a strong uh firm stance on what love is mm. and what i've felt as love mm. um yeah i'm just really curious do, do, do you not think that your partner also had that no no <laughs> no But just just in retrospect or did you already no, know that beforehand I, I, i knew that i knew okay. that going into the relationship that uh his shaky uh upbringing and um perhaps like a role models um or even you know i'm not saying everyone should believe in god or something but believe have 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 moral grounding have have some stance you know i respect you know different religions and all that and my ex-husband seemed to be a bit far you know a bit empty where that was concerned okay. yeah and 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 that's actually a, a point you know to look out for in your partner their background their beliefs matters mm. you know it shouldn't be something you ignore so in retrospect i would have paid attention more to that mm. to kind of test uh whether we were compatible in that sense mm. whereas for me the thing that really made me decide to stay in that relationship was this acceptance for me not for who i was associated with in the small town that i grew up in mm. and so that kind of clouded everything else um I, but I, i i that's what i notice as well when mm. in love like we always need something at some particular point in time mm. and if we find someone who perfectly fits that meet need yes. like a like a key in a lock yes. then we go oh this this is it and our you know everything our whole body just yes G- hones in on that yeah, you know and connects and then mm. that's what we call love i guess that fit yes and when the fit is perfect yes then then everything is great but then our needs might change exactly. over time and yes. that's Yeah. Yeah. It's quite right. And it, and I think when you're young you don't question that fit. Mm. Um you go for it, you know, because it feels right. Mm. And so while I was dating my ex-husband, I went to university and the first guy I met on campus, I introduced myself as Tandi funny enough, not as Bongiwe. Mm-hmm. And there's a famous artist in South Africa called Tandiswamazwai. Mm-hmm. And he said like Tandiswamazwai and I said no yeah well something similar and he said okay I'll just call you Mazwai. <laughs> and to this day he's the only person that calls me Mazwai. Mm. 
Anna became best friends with this young man mm-hmm. at Varsity. And the one thing that also stood out for me in this friendship was the intellectual connection I had. No one appreciated me that way. You know, my mind and how I think. And we just seemed to fit. But I definitely friend-zoned him yeah. uh, because I was in a relationship. Yeah. I got married, got divorced... And um, he still then pursued that, you know, I really think that there's something more to our friendship. Mm. And I, even after my divorce, I felt, no, um, I felt too strongly about our friendship. And I was scared that if we were to date, it would destroy the connection that we had because I also didn't know whether we would work out. Right. Um, but in 2016... This young man came back into my life, the one who calls me Mazwai, and we've been together since. I decided to give it a chance, and oh my goodness, what a beautiful relationship. Mm. Um, I almost feel a bit stupid that this guy's been here the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm loving the relationship. It's a serious relationship. I do see myself possibly marrying this man Uh, in a few years time and the most important thing for me is that he gets along with my daughter Um, and so yeah my experience of love is love Uh, the beauty of it in all its beauty I love my boyfriend and uh, I'm just happy that I'm able to you know rewrite my story and walk in confidence in love yeah and I really hope that it does work out and if it doesn't we both know that I survived a breakup of a 12-year relationship, mm. I think I'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I have every intention of making this relationship work because it's built on the right principles this time. Yeah. Yes. That's wonderful. I think that's the, the maturity that I feel I have in my relationship as well now, that we can spend a lot of time together mm. and, and really enjoy that and really spend a lot of time together. Mm. But then also we can spend time apart and... Um, you know, well, sometimes, you know, it, we miss each other a lot, but still there's an independence, which I sometimes yes. didn't have in previous relationships. Yes, me it, too. It felt like this dependence. Yes. And yeah. um, I, I remember, I always remember this for some reason. I think it, I was in another relationship when I saw this movie. Um, I think it's called The Time Traveler's Wife. Okay. And um, it's about this guy who travels in time, but he can't control it. Oh. And... Um, he, he meets this woman and they fall in love and um, I guess mainly I guess she's the protagonist uh, and because it's about her and but the kind of relationship that she has with him and how he's it comes and disappears again out of her life because mm. he's traveling in time and, mm. and she meets him at different ages yes. and it's r- really really strange but um, then there's a point where he you know comes to her into her life in her in her 20s and she disappears for weeks and her, her her roommate is like where have you been like you know i'm also your friend and whatever mm. and then her, her boyfriend the roommate's boyfriend says you know don't be hard on her she's just codependent like the rest of us mm. and and this really struck me somehow because i thought damn yeah we are all we co- are, yeah. codependent but yeah but that that's fucked up like yeah. we, sh- we shouldn't be exactly. you know like codependence is actually a psychological disorder like <laughs> it's listed <laughs> in the dsm you know so yeah. um it's not it's not healthy actually yeah. to be yeah. codependent yeah what we want is interdependence i think that's right yeah yeah um. and that's that's huge actually because what i felt ooh, has been the failure of previous relationships including my ex-husband was 
me being successful. I would downplay my successes. I'd downplay my achievements mm. because I couldn't outshine my partner. There's some, you know, silent rule that the woman can't be more successful than the man. And with my current boyfriend, he's just as driven as I am and he's got his own you know achievements and he celebrates me that means so much to me um, so it is that independence uh, with a balance of depending on each other yeah do you still feel like you can't outshine him no <laughs> he knows <laughs> that, you are that I'm born to shine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he does shine in his own right. He does give me a run for his money. I won't lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's great. I think um, some healthy competition is always. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that I, I think that's um, a real concern that I've heard from other women as well. This feeling like um, it's not appreciated if you do better than your partner. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I think we've gone, come to an interesting conclusion. I think um, I, I know what, what's, what's next in your life, which is really interesting. You, mm -hmm. You're going to expand this uh, uh, company, Silulu, mm -hmm. from 40-something stores to 400 over the yes. next uh, five years. Yes. And um, you're going to finish your MCOM or you're going to get your degree yes. in a couple months. Yes. And you're going to move back in with your daughter. Yes. And... Um, Wow, what an incredible life you've had so far and it sounds like an incredible life to come. Hope so, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Thank and you so much. Being an incredible storyteller, actually, on my podcast. So. Thank you. Today's quote is from Seth Godin. When we fall in love, there are no guarantees, no promise that it will be reciprocated or last forever or even meet our imagined needs. The act of loving a person, an idea, a quest. It's the same duality as the experience of taking your turn, knowing that it might not work, embracing the fact that it might, doing it more for others than for yourself, and when it doesn't work, doing it again. <laughs> Thank you for listening all the way to the end of this conversation. Please share this podcast with other people who might enjoy it. Make sure to also leave a review in your podcast app if you can. That helps other people find great content. I don't run ads on this podcast, but there are two ways that you can support the show and keep it going. The first is by contributing directly to the production cost on Patreon. Statistically, very few people support podcasts directly, which is why most shows resort to running ads. If you want to make sure media is made for you and not to please advertisers, then I suggest you pay for media that you consume. And statistically, out of every 10,000 listeners, 200 might support me directly. If these 200 put in $20 a month each, this will become a professional podcast and will continue indefinitely. If you would like to be one of these 200 people, go to patreon.com slash joshlevent. The second way to support me is to make use of my professional services. I am a leadership and life coach. If you would benefit from some constructive conversations about your life and work, go to joshlevent.com slash coaching 
to find out more about my coaching services. Mm-hmm.